wow, so I didn't think I was going to cry seeing it for the second time. But every time I look at that last little one, that's me and my little guy almost 20 years ago. Oh, man, I, I tear up. Happy Father's Day. Good morning, everyone. This is the first, that wasn't very good. Good morning, everyone. There we go. This is the first time in 15 weeks we've had a 930 service in this space, which is just crazy. Almost four months a year. So welcome back. Welcome back Um, to those of you in our outdoor environments. I'm glad the weather is okay and cooperating today to those in our family friendly environments. Welcome to those watching online. You are watching. If you've been watching the 930 service, our first live service in 15 weeks Um, It's 948 here, just like it is um, at your house. So thank you for joining us today. If you normally don't come to this service. You need to be aware that we've got new service times for the summer. Because we're getting ready in July, we hope to bring our kids' ministry back. We're trying to figure out how to clean all those environments well. Our 8 a.m. service has moved back to 745. Believe it or not, there were a lot of people here this morning at 745. Our 11 a.m. has moved to 1115. The 930 is the exact same. All of them are here. So if you're a 930 person, just you keep coming to this one. Um, But if you're 8 or 11, those have slid a little bit to allow us to do ministry in this new season of coronavirus. Week three, you heard Pastor Mike say of summer in the Psalms. You also heard him say we have a big one today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm chapter 23. Some of you can quote it. We don't even have to read it. Psalm 23 is where we're going to hang out today. The great preacher from London, Charles Spurgeon, who's written so much on so many passages of the Bible, says of Psalm 23 that this is the pearl of the book of Psalms. This is the pearl of Psalms whose soft and pure radiance delights every eye of this delightful song. It may be affirmed that its piety and its poetry are equal. Its sweetness and its spirituality are unsurpassed. This is, for those of you who may be brand new to Christianity or the Bible, one of the greatest chapters in the entire Bible. I think you're going to enjoy our time in the 23rd Psalm today. Before we dig into the 23rd Psalm, let me say thank you again for those of you who have been giving, uh, those of you here those of you outside, those of you online. We don't take offerings in the coronavirus season. You can drop your offering in the bucket if you go uh, leave the service if you want to. You can also give online like so many have been on our website through our app. Uh, You can text to give. Not only have people been giving tithes and offerings, they've been giving to our building campaign. You heard me announce last week that we've got our site permit to begin breaking ground. We're hoping this week we might be able to break ground on all the site work to get everything ready for beginning to build a, a building in the fall if everything works out for that. But I, but I need you all to pray. Everybody say Batman. Say Batman. Batman. The Batman is coming Wednesday. Um, the last thing we have to do before we can knock down that row of trees where a new road is going to go is there's an endangered species of bat that sometimes hangs out in Lee Summit. So the Batman is coming Wednesday and he's going to make sure that species of bat is not hanging out in our trees. If you've ever hunted bats, before Wednesday would be a good time. Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Lee Summit City Council, just kidding. We're not going to kill the endangered bats, but you need to pray for the Batman because if the Batman doesn't see the bats on Wednesday, maybe Thursday you'll see if the weather's good, some trucks on this property are beginning to get us ready um, to possibly build our building in the fall. But thank you for how you've been giving and thank you for how um, you've been serving. We're in what we're calling our summer of serving. We said our community now more than ever um, needs our service. Our service project last week was at Coldwater. We fed more than 300 um, meals this past Tuesday. 30 volunteers put in 75 hours of community service, prepping meals, serving meals, 
hosting a barbecue at some underserved apartment complexes in our city. The Cold Water Ministry does this every Tuesday evening. They have different churches around the area that partner. This week, it was our turn, and we got a chance because of some of you um, to just go serve people and say, hey, we see you. We love you. We're here for you. If you need anything, please don't hesitate to let us know. Our service project this week, if you want to be a part of it, it's really special. You heard Tara mention it. Uh, it's a ministry partner that's called Rended Heart. Rended Heart um, is a home for sexually exploited and trafficked children and women in the Kansas City area. And yes, there are those. That home is always full. Um, we're actually right now um, recording one of the testimonies of one of the girls to be able to introduce you to some of the people who are at that home. On Tuesday and Saturday this week, we're serving, helping get that home in even better condition to welcome women and children in. Our Tuesday project is full. Our Saturday project has about five spots left. You have to be over the age of 18 because of the sensitive nature of our ministry partner. But if you'd like to serve, we'd love to have you serve with us. All you got to do is text the two words, Journey Serve, to 47. 4747. Um, you can sign up for that project and others that are happening this summer. We're also, um, Sherry Hennig, uh, who leads our community outreach ministry, um, her husband Eric is a Lee Summit police officer. Um, so we are this week taking 200 of these travel mugs to the Lee Summit Police Department. We're taking 50 to the Lee Summit State Highway Patrol. Um, this phrase, in valor there is hope, is a phrase um, that's embossed on the National Law Enforcement Memorial in Washington, D.C., where nearly 22,000 names of men and women in law enforcement who've lost their lives in the line of duty um, is engraved. And we're going this week because we've been tracking with a lot of our law enforcement people to say, hey, we see you. Thank you for the way you've been serving the peaceful protesters. Thank you for the way you've been serving our community um, when criminal protesters uh, come and are a part of things. We think at our church we're supposed to serve those who are serving our community. That's why we're serving Rended Heart. That's why we're serving Cold Water. That's why this week we're going to serve our law enforcement agencies. Um, all that happens because of the way you give, love, and serve. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Before we ever open God's Word, yeah, you can put your hands together. Our church is making a huge difference in our summer of serving. Before we ever open God's word, we always ask him to open our hearts. So would you bow your heads here and outside if you're at home? Take a deep breath if you haven't done that already today. And just whisper this prayer from your heart to heaven. Ask God to speak to you today. That's our prayer today, Lord. Show us the qualities of our heavenly father in the 23rd Psalm that will draw us closer to Jesus and show us how we can show those qualities to others through the way we live our life so they can be closer to Jesus. That's our prayer. And God, we ask it in Jesus' name today. And everyone said, amen. Hey, two goals as we jump into Psalm 23 today. Number one, to see the spiritual qualities of our heavenly father. Our goal, first goal for you at our church is that you would know God. Today in the 23rd Psalm, we're gonna help you know God's heart and the quality of his heart and his actions towards you. But we don't just wanna know about God. We want him to transform us so we're more like him. So our second goal is not just to know him, but to accept the challenge of becoming like him, specifically for those of us who are dads and grandpas, for you to be able to become a spiritual father, but it's more than that spiritually. It's for you to be able to become spiritual mothers, moms, and spiritual grandparents, grandparents, for you to become spiritual coaches, spiritual teachers, spiritual bosses, spiritual managers, etc., etc. To our high school kids, I hope you'll become spiritual big brothers and sisters. To our middle school kids and to our middle school kids, I hope you'll become big brothers and sisters. To our elementary kids and our elementary students who are here, I hope you'll become spiritual big brothers and sisters 
teenagers to our preschool children. We want to know about God so we can become like him, so that we can love people like him. The 23rd Psalm is going to help us to do that. Here's what we read today. It might sound different. If you've memorized it, it's probably not in the New International Version. It's probably in the New King James or the King James. We're reading in the NIV today, and it says this, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Say the word shepherd. Shepherd. If you have a Bible, you should circle that in verse 1. Shepherd. The best word picture that the Old Testament gives us for how God loves and who God is is the word shepherd. And the people in the Old Testament who were connected to God and led for God, most of them were shepherds. Adam, that we talked about in the garden, Adam and Eve, was a shepherd. He cared for animals. His son Abel, the righteous son, was a shepherd. He cared for animals. Noah became a shepherd when the ark, when it finally quit raining and the ark emptied the animals out. Noah became a shepherd. Abraham was a shepherd. His son Isaac was a shepherd. His grandson Jacob was a shepherd. His great-grandson Joseph was a shepherd. Moses, who would become the deliverer of the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, was a shepherd. David, who wrote the 23rd Psalm, the great king of Israel who would kill Goliath, was a shepherd. And of course, Jesus in John chapter 10 would say, I am the good shepherd. And it was Jesus that began to change the analogy of how we view God because in the Old Testament, the word picture we get to understand who God is is the word shepherd. But Jesus, the good shepherd, in the New Testament would change our understanding of God from a shepherd to a father. Remember, it was Jesus who taught us to pray in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, our father in heaven, hallowed be our name. Jesus didn't teach us to pray our shepherd. Jesus didn't, when he prayed, say, my father. He said, God is the father of me and all of my followers. God is our father. The apostle Paul in his great theological treatise to the church at Rome in Romans eight fifteen, would solidify this in our theology, this relationship of being sons and daughters to God. The father said, the spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. When you begin to follow Jesus, you've been adopted by God, and now the Spirit in your chest calls him Father. So on Father's Day, 2020, we get to look back at the greatest of all psalms, the 23rd Psalm, and we get to see how God, the shepherd, kind of interacts with us as God, the Father. And we see two things today, God as Heavenly Father, And then we see how we can be spiritual fathers and mothers and big brothers and sisters, leaders in the lives of others. We want to look first at Heavenly Father. As we look through Psalm chapter 23, just six verses, what we're going to see are five qualities of God the Father, our Heavenly Father that he has in our life. And what we're going to do is we're just going to kind of go one verse at a time and we're going to say this verse says the good shepherd is this way. God is the good shepherd who has become our heavenly father. What does that tell us about how God wants to be our heavenly father? If you're here today, if you're sitting outside today, if you're in one of our family-friendly environments today, if you're sitting at home, if you're listening at some point during the week, and God at this point is not your heavenly father, here's what you need to know. He wants to be. He wants to be. He can be. All you have to do is reach up and take the hand of a heavenly father who's reaching down to adopt you spiritually. I think by the time you hear his qualities, you'll think, I 
I need that in my life. What are the qualities of God as Heavenly Father? Quality number one, he refreshes my soul. Man, how many of us have needed this in the last 15 weeks? Our soul has just been weary. Our soul has been tired. Our soul has been beat up. How many of you have needed your soul refreshed? The first quality we learn of our Heavenly Father is he refreshes my soul. Psalm 23, 2 said, he makes me. Lie down in green pastures. By the way, everything that's in yellow, I'll always talk about. So if you're tracking with me, you can underline those words. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. If God were to pull up today with a drink cart of refreshment, he would not have a drink called refreshing your soul. If God was a, you know, had, had fountain drinks hanging on the wall like Quick Trip, he would not have a flavor called refreshing refreshing my soul but he does refresh our soul you say how god has actually two flavors of drink called authority and direction that if you accept the authority of god and the direction of god when you combine those together it's something that refreshes your soul there are too many people in 2020 who want god to refresh their soul they just don't want him to tell them what to do There are too many people in 2020 who really would like God to refresh their soul. They're just not going to listen to his direction for their life. But you need to understand Psalm 23 says, here's how he refreshes our soul. Sometimes he makes us do things. We give him authority. And by giving the one who created us authority, the creator refreshes the soul that he puts inside of us. And we give him permission to direct us. He leads us. And by giving the one who created us direction of the soul he put inside of us, his authority and his direction bring refreshment. When I live the way God tells me to live, when I do what God tells me to do, it actually brings refreshment to my soul. Our Heavenly Father refreshes our soul, but only if you surrender authority of your life and direction in your future. He refreshes our soul. Number two. He guides us as image bearers. He guides us as image bearers. We learned last week in Genesis chapter 1 that God created mankind, Adam, um, Adam and Eve. He created male and female in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. We, we have the image of God, the imago Dei, that's been planted in our soul. But because of sin and brokenness, that doesn't often live on the surface of our life. But our Heavenly Father wants it to. So Scripture says he guides us so that we can become an image bearer. Psalm 23.3 says he guides me along the right paths. He wants authority in my life and direction for my life because that will help people know him. Won't just help me know him, it'll help others know him. He helps me with his authority and his direction do what's right because when that happens, his name is known. God's number one purpose for your life once you know him is that your life would make him known. Matthew 5 says it this way. We talked about Jesus in the Beatitudes last week. Let your light so shine that others see you and glorify God. They see you, they talk about God. He brings his image inside of you to the forefront. Um, I talked about Officer Eric Hennig, whose wife, Sherry, leads our community um, service uh, ministry and outreach. Um, yesterday, I, I had a chance to spend a little time at their house. Sherry had um, a, a bone spur in her hip and a torn labrum, so she had surgery Friday morning early. She's going to be laid up for 
for a month uh, before she can get out of a terrible-looking brace that she's wearing. So Danielle and I had the opportunity um, last night to go take them dinner for Father's Day and hang out with their kids. And as soon as we walked in their door, their son Logan said, come see my playroom. So Danielle went upstairs to talk to Sherry, and I went downstairs to play with their son Logan, who's like um, this big. And he showed me how the green army that he had set up um, had defeated the tan army that that were all laid down and dead. He had a, a little dinosaur that, like, if you shake a ball and throw it like this toy dinosaur kind of chases it across the room. He showed me all his books that he had, a little shark tent that he had that he does all of his Legos. And I got to hang out with Logan. And it was funny as I watched Logan play. And then as we went upstairs and talked with Eric and Sherry and prayed with her um, that God would give her comfort and peace, I thought about Eric two weeks ago because two weeks ago, Eric was in the back. He's often, when I leave here and go speak at Summit Lakes or Summit Christian, um, he'll, he'll drive me uh, back and forth. He doesn't drive in his police car and turn on the sirens. I wish he would, but I don't think he's allowed. That would be cooler. We just take his pickup truck. Um, but he had a picture in the back, and he said, uh, Christian, look at this. And he gave me a picture of him and his son, Logan. Um, but they were, like, dressed up in clothes from, like, 1983. Like, it looked like it was Halloween. I looked at the picture, and I said, why y'all, why y'all dress like that? And he laughed, and he said, that's not me and Logan. That's me and my dad. And I'm telling you, what was crazy in the picture is in the picture, Eric today looks exactly like his father, and in the picture, he looked exactly like his son. At the exact same time, Eric looked exactly like the father and the son in the picture. When people look at your life, do they see the father and the son in you? If, if somebody did not know who Jesus was, but they knew all of your spiritual qualities, and then they saw a picture of him, would someone think, like, that's my neighbor. I don't know why he's wearing his weird clothes from 2,000 years ago, but that's, that's, that's Bill, that's Mike, that's, that's Tom, that's Sally. Would someone think, that's my neighbor, that's my boss, that's my coworker. They sit in the, uh, in the cubicle next to mine. Hey, dads, if someone saw a picture of Jesus, but they didn't know who he was, would they say, why is my dad dressed in those weird clothes? Does anyone ever mistake you from Jesus because of his image inside of you that the Heavenly Father has brought to the forefront. That's, that's what the Heavenly Father does as we follow him. He guides us along the right path for his name's sake so people see him. Quality number three, he comforts me through direction. And he comforts me through discipline. Probably Psalm 23, 4 is one of the most famous verses in all of the Bible because it's used at funerals. It's probably more well-known in the King James Version of the Bible and the New King James Version of the Bible than the NIV because it will read in the New King James and King James, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So for 3,000 years in the Judeo-Christian faith, this psalm is used at funerals. Right now, I'm in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death, but God is still with me. This psalm has been used for thousands of years that way. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'm not going to fear any evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. These were not two things that shepherds carried, a rod and a staff. This was one thing that a shepherd carried that had two uses. If you can picture the shepherd's cane with the loop at the end, that was the staff. And from time to time, they would have to use the staff to reach out and get the sheep and gently turn their neck or turn one of their legs and direct them where they needed to go. That's how the shepherd would use a staff. But every now and then, when the staff didn't work, he would have to flip the cane around and he'd have to smack the sheep or the goat with 
with the rod. He'd have to use it as a stick, and he'd have to discipline the sheep for not doing what he knew the sheep needed to do in order to be nourished and taken care of. And we serve a heavenly father who, if we're going to serve him well, has to be able to use his staff and his rod in our life. Now, speaking as a father on Father's Day, I don't know if I'm proud of this or ashamed of this now that my son will be 19 um, at the end of next month. But we have a generation of kids between the ages of 15 and 30 who have a generation of parents between the ages of 40 and 55 who have wanted their kids to have a better life than they had. So they've tried to give their kids more than they had, and they've tried to keep their kids from some of the pain that they experienced. And in a way, that totally makes sense, except sociologists now studying kids between the ages of 15 and 30 say they don't know how to function when life comes at them because parents have intercepted every amount of pain and discipline and conflict that they would ever have. So they really don't know how to deal with it. What they should have learned at 13, they're learning at 30 now, and it's, it's making life much harder than it should be. And a lot of Christian parents are doing that theologically. It's 2020. It's the generation of God is love. God loves you. He's never unhappy with you. He will direct you, but he'll ne- he would never use the rod. God would never discipline you. God would never hurt you. God would never give you... Serious consequences for sin or disobedience or circumstances. And, and we're beginning to raise a generation of kids who not only hasn't had any personal, relational, financial kind of hiccups, pain, tension in their life, but they're, they're not even aware that there's a God who has a standard for them that when they don't meet it as a follower who has to use his rod every now and then. It's not fun, but Job said it's beneficial. Job in Job 5.17 going through a difficult Season of life said, blessed is the one whom God corrects. So don't despise the discipline of the Almighty. Hey, it's no fun, but it's beneficial. So we need to teach our kids when you do something wrong in God, then the consequences spiritually are heavy. That's just God shaping you to be more like Jesus. Parents, we've got to be really, really careful because a lot of today's parents are creating a theology based on their pain and their discipline something they experience, rather than their child's growth through their child's discipline, and they're shielding their kids from the times God wants to discipline them and say, that's not going to work spiritually. And listen, mom and dad, you can trust the good shepherd. You say, well, what if God uses the rod? He uses it sparingly. He uses it well. He uses it gently. You can trust Jesus. Turn your kids over to Jesus, and then just kind of let him do his thing. It works Our Heavenly Father knows what he's doing, and he brings comfort ultimately through the staff, but sometimes through the rod. Area number four, what do I learn about my Heavenly Father from Psalm 23? He fought and he won our battles so that we can rest and have peace within our battles. He fought and he won our biggest battle so that we can rest and have peace in the battles that we face in life. Probably the verse I spent the most time on As I studied Psalm 23 this time around was verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Here's the picture. Most armies, when the enemy is not only within eyesight, but they're watching what you're doing, they don't even stop to eat. Much less stop to set up a table. Much less have a banquet. Much less celebrate Thanksgiving while the enemy is watching on. But that is the picture That our Heavenly Father, even in the midst of a world that is totally broken and spiritually is an enemy, that that our Heavenly Father, even in the midst of that, He's aware of the enemy, but He's not alarmed by the enemy because He knows if we're with Him, we're going to be okay. 
Yes, there's the presence of the enemy, but there's the presence of God and that is greater. So what you see is a picture of God with the enemy watching on who says, I'm just going to do my thing because we're going to be okay. Now, if you've been to Jerusalem, this picture makes more sense. If you've read the story of Jesus, this picture makes more sense because Jerusalem is a city situated among seven different hills, but the old city of Jerusalem, the Temple Mount that you might see pictures of, is on one of the lowest hills. So when you're standing on the Temple Mount, you're looking up at all the other hills. It wasn't built on the highest mountain of the range. You stand on the Mount of Olives and you look down into the city of Jerusalem. You stand on Mount Scopus and you look down into Jerusalem. You stand on Mount Zion and you look down into Mount Moriah or Mount Moriah where the Temple Mount is today. And you say, man, that wouldn't be very safe. And you're right. When the Assyrians and the Babylonians came and encamped around Jerusalem, they had the high ground and they were watching down in Jerusalem. And what were they watching? Priests worshiping God at the temple. The smoke ascending. They were watching people who even in the presence of their enemy were still trying to worship their God. Fast forward a thousand years, and Jesus, with his enemies less than a half mile away at that same Temple Mount, contemplating how they were going to arrest him later that night so they could kill him the next morning. Jesus didn't say, they're coming, we got to go. What did Jesus do in the presence of his enemies on the most dire night of his life? He threw a banquet. He prepared a table before his disciples. And even after Judas had left the room to go collect the money for his arrest, He said, we're not going to hurry. We're not going to rush. And he literally reclined at the table with his disciples. They relaxed. They laid down. They talked. They ate. They fellowshiped together. And he said, this cup that I give you will become the cup of the new covenant. It will overflow forever and ever and ever. We see such a picture of Jesus in Psalm 23, 5. He said, I'm aware of your enemies, but I'm not alarmed by them because you've got me. I'm here. You're going to be okay. We serve a heavenly father who has fought our greatest spiritual battle so that when our current spiritual battles come, he can say, come on, um, let's recline together and talk about it. Let's lean in. You're going to be okay because you're with me. What a great quality of a heavenly father. And then finally, number five, we have a heavenly father who walks with us through our good and through our bad, and he has tools to celebrate and clean up whatever the situation is. Dictates. So, Christian, where do you see this? In verse 6, I like it better in the New King James Version. I just like the, I like the English word better than in the NIV, even though the NIV word is still correct. Surely goodness and mercy. If you have an NIV, you should circle the word love. The Hebrew there does, could translate love. I like it better in English, mercy. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. It's the word love in the NIV. It's the word mercy in the New King James. The Hebrew word is the one you need to know. It's the word chesed. It comes from three Hebrew letters. Remember, Hebrew is written right to left. The, word, uh, the letter chet, the letter samach, the letter dalet, H-S-D. No vowels in the ancient Hebrew language. That's why the, they would come along and add these dots and say that tells you kind of the sound that's supposed to occur between the consonants written there. Chesed, chesed, chesed. What is chesed? What is chesed? Is it love? Yes. Is it mercy? Yes. Here's the best definition of chesed. It's used all, all through the Old Testament. Chesed is unfailing loyal love and devotion that's based on a previous relationship, especially a covenant relationship. Here's what chesed is. If we, if we could give a really good picture of chesed, um, chesed is honoring a commitment in the present that you made in the past even when it's not deserved in the present. Hesed is saying, 20 years ago, I said I was going to marry you till death do us part. 
And what has happened this year has really not made me want to love you, but I promised, and I'm not going to break that promise. That's what mercy is. It's undeserved favor based on a promise that you made in the past. And Jesus has promised he will never leave us or forsake us. So that means if we're together, he said, I'm going to have to follow you through life, but surely my goodness and my mercy, my hesed, will follow you. Goodness are all the good things that God brings us under the authority and the direction of God that bring out his image. You say, what are mercy? Mercy cleans up the messes. Mercy cleans up the messes. Here's the picture of mercy I see when I look at Psalm 23, 6. Um, we have a, a, a walking path in our neighborhood like many of you have, and every now and then I'll see somebody walking their dog, and they'll have a leash in one hand, and their dog is right in front of them. They're following him, and then in the other hand, they one hand they're holding the dog, and the other hand they're holding the dog's mess. Have you all ever seen this? Like they're just literally walking along with a bag of dog poo right beside them. So I got the dog in one hand, got the dog's mess in another. I saw that picture this week as Danielle and I were taking a walk, and I thought, I bet if people watch me walk with Jesus, that's what it looks like. He never leaves me or forsakes me, and there's been a lot of goodness in my life because of Jesus. But I promise you, as Jesus connects himself to me, he's got to be carrying handfuls of spiritual messes that I have left on the path of my life. But he doesn't leave me. He doesn't forsake me. That's his mercy. That's his hesed. My mercy will follow you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to follow you. And when you make a mess, I'm going to clean it up. And when things are good, we're going to celebrate that together. But I'm not going to leave you. That is the heavenly father. That is the shepherd. That is the God that when we say yes, we connect to. And if you don't know him today, you should. Because when we reach up to take hold of God, and he reaches down to take hold of us, every now and then our grip slips, but his does not. And he hangs on to us tight and he follows us through life with his goodness and his mercy all the days of our life. What a wonderful heavenly father. If you don't know him, I want to introduce you to him. If you're sitting outside and you say, I don't know that heavenly father, I'm not connected to him. I'd love to introduce you to him in just a minute. But just before we close, let's look at how our heavenly father helps us become spiritual fathers. That's the second thing I want to look at today. Quickly, how our heavenly father helps us become spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers, Spiritual brothers, spiritual sisters, spiritual big brothers and sisters, spiritual bosses, coaches, managers, like you get it, right? Like this, knowing our heavenly father helps us become spiritual leaders in the lives of other people. And we see five qualities of becoming a spiritual father from what we learn from our heavenly father. What are they? Number one, say, I want to be a spiritual father, mother, spiritual big sister, spiritual big brother. You have to care deeply about somebody's soul. The first thing we see about spiritual fathers from our heavenly father is they are heavily invested in caring about someone's soul. I'm going to go even a step further and say this. If you care more about your kid's batting average, bench press, grade point average, future earnings than their soul, you're probably not the primary spiritual father or mother in their life. And they know it. And they're working really hard in those areas. But what you have to understand, because they understand it, is one day they're, one day they're going to fail in that area and they're going to wonder who will come along and still care for their soul. So you've got to care for their soul. You say, how do I care for their soul? The same way the Heavenly Father cares for us. You set up a pattern of stopping in their life that nourishes their soul. The the Bible says that the Heavenly Father makes us lie down in green pastures. He makes us do things that he knows are going to nourish our soul. And man, in this world that we live in that goes, 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 it's up to spiritual moms and dads to say, we're going to stop things that drain you from time to time to place you in places that fill you. 
It's our job to put the brakes on, mom and dad, when our kids are running too fast to have their soul constantly nourished. They have a pattern of stopping that nourishes the soul, but then they also have a pattern of going that brings peace to the soul. They say, we know what we need to stop because that's draining all the life out of you, but I also know what I need to do to refill life with you. Every now and then someone will look at the pace of life that's going on and they'll say, man, life is so busy. We're just going to shut everything down, including going to church for a season. We're just going to shut it all down. That is not how you nourish someone's soul. You have to have a pattern of going places that bring peace to the soul. You have to lead those you lead beside quiet waters, places that will allow them to find nourishment for their souls. You got to care deeply for the soul. You know who does this well? Moms. Moms. This will probably be the only year in the history of our church that we have more people in church on Father's Day than we did on Mother's Day because we didn't have church on Mother's Day. Mother's Day is the second highest attended service every year at our church. Easter is usually number one. Mother's Day is number two. Father's Day is always one of our three lowest Sundays of the year. Because mom says, because mom normally cares about the soul of everyone, it's Mother's Day, it's my day, y'all are going to church with me. And then we're going to go get something to eat. And everyone says, because it's Mother's Day, yes ma'am, yes ma'am. It's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to go to church with you and then we're going to get something to eat. Because mom cares about the soul. Too often on Father's Day, Dad says, Father's Day, this one's about me. I want to play golf. I want to go fish. I want to sleep in. I want to grill out. I want to cook out. I don't know how Mother's Day becomes about the soul of others and how Father's Day becomes about us. But dads, we got to do better there. Got to do better there. So I want to be a spiritual father. You got to learn to care about the soul. Quality number two, you got to care deeply about bringing God's image. In those that you're leading to the surface, you are the ones who have to look into the Imago Dei, the image of God inside your kids and say, let me tell you what I see that God has put in you that I want to bring to the forefront of your life. I've not always done this well. I'm trying to do this better. Danielle and I have a, have a weird thing that, that we do because we travel uh, so often on mission trips out of the country together. We usually, before Danielle and I travel together, we will sit our kids down and say, if something happens to us, Here's everything you need to know if for some reason we die. We have that conversation at least once a year. If something were to happen to us, we want you to have information. That'll be half the battle, not being afraid of what happens next. Here's everything you need to know. And normally I will write the kids a letter and say, if something happens to me, start with the letter. It'll tell you everything to do. And I've just laid out, here's who to call. Here's what to do. Here's who's going to take care of you. Like, you don't need to worry about any of the details. Something happens to me, open the letter. It'll be sitting on my desk. This one is one that I wrote in January of this year before Danielle and I uh, took a group of 40 or so people uh, from our church to Israel. I'm going to take out all the details that you don't care about, but I'm going to read you the two paragraphs that I wrote to my kids telling them, hey, I'm like, I may, I may not be here forever, but you need to know God has created you special. Here's what I wrote to my son, Christian. You're one of the finest young men I've ever met and the greatest honor of my life was to be your dad. You made me so proud. God made you very special. You have one of the best hearts of anyone I've ever met. I wish I was more like you in that area of my life. You love and care about people well. As you move forward in life, love and care about your sister Casey first. She will need you in the special heart that God has given you. One day you'll have a wife who will get to experience the depth of how God created you to love, but first Casey needs to feel that right now. Casey, you're one of the greatest young ladies I've ever had the opportunity to know. I always swell with pride when you represent our family. God made you special as well. You're a servant. God made you to serve with a great spirit and with excellence. I always love how you serve our family. And you're a trustworthy servant. If you're doing it, it will be done well. Keep that spirit. 
At this point in your life, serve your brother. He's going to need you more than you'll ever know, and he needs you to serve him like you've served us. One day you'll serve your husband and the family God's given you with your gift, but for now, you need to use it on your brother. Mom and I love you. We'll be waiting for you when God calls you home one day. Stay close to Jesus. Love and serve one another. Become who God created you to be so you can accomplish what God created you to do. And then I added, because it's very important, take care of little Rudy. That's my dog. Um, He's my man, so take care of him. Love you both. Sorry we didn't make it home to Kansas City. Know that we're at home with Jesus until we meet again. Um, I'm anticipating dying and going to heaven one day. I'm not running away from that. I'm running towards it. But I want to make sure before that happens, my kids understand where the fingerprints of God are in their life so they can be his hands in the world. It's my job as a spiritual father. Dad's that's your job as a spiritual father. Mom's that's your job as a spiritual mother, spiritual brothers and sisters. That's our job to find the fingerprints of the Imago Dei in the lives of those that we lead and to bring them to the surface. Quality number three of a spiritual father. You say, I want to be a spiritual father. Spiritual fathers are people who are willing to direct and discipline around an eternal perspective. Everything they do, they realize that this life will one day be over and the next one will begin. The greatest win in the life of any parent is the eternal win in the life of their kids. It's not the only win, but it's the greatest win because I promise you it will be seen as the greatest loss one day if we don't see this win, eternal life with our Heavenly Father achieved in the life of our kids. Quality number four, you say, I want to be a spiritual father. Spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers, they live and lead in a posture of spiritual victory. They don't ask someone else to become like Jesus if they're not proving that that is possible and that it can be done. They're constantly on a journey to become more like Jesus. There's a new kind of personality profile test out in the last couple of years called the Enneagram. Um, Pastor Ryan and I talk a little bit more about it on the podcast this week, the dangers of that stuff, how it can be used positively. Um, But it's something that my family, um, our staff have taken to learn how to interact with each other well. Um, You're given a number of one to eight, one to nine, and it kind of, based on your number, it's kind of the way you're shaped internally because of your life experiences and how you interact with other people. And Danielle the other day was scrolling on Instagram. She's more into the Enneagram thing than I did. And she came across a post where um, they gave a Bible character for every number of the Instagram so if you're a one, this is your Bible person. If you're a two, um, and she said, hey, who, who do you think the Bible person is who's an eight? I'm an eight on the Enneagram. Who do you think the Bible person is who's an eight? And I said, I don't know. Um, and she said, John the Baptist. And I said, I don't want to be John the Baptist. Um, she said, well, like that's an eight. And I said, well, then I don't want to be an eight. I said, I want to be Jesus. I don't want people to look at me and think John the Baptist. I want people to look at me and think Jesus. What number is Jesus? She said, he doesn't have a number. He's like the best combination of all the numbers. And I said, then that's what I want for me. I don't want to be John the Baptist. I want to be Jesus. I don't want to be an eight. I want to be Jesus. I want to become like my spiritual heavenly father. I want to be Jesus because I can't help others become like Jesus if I'm not becoming more like Jesus. Spiritual fathers live and lead in a posture of spiritual victory. They are seeing God accomplish in them what they are telling their family can be accomplished and those that they lead. And then finally, quality number five. This might be the most important thing you need to hear today. For those of you here watching outside, watching online, this may be the most important thing you need to hear today. You say, I want to be a spiritual father. Then you have to celebrate the good days of life, the goodness. And you have to show mercy on the bad days of life. I've never had a parent ask me, when should I stop celebrating the good things in life? Nobody's ever asked me that question. For some reason, 
And I believe it can only come from the spiritual enemy. People often ask me, how long should I show mercy before I write someone off? They never say, how long does goodness last? Like they understand, they're just going to like do that forever. But there is this thought that you know, if somebody's not walking with God, if they've turned their back, if they've turned away, if they're atheist, agnostic, if they've walked away from the faith, how long do I show mercy? And I would say this, show mercy as long as you need it. Which means this, as long as you're living, show mercy. You stop showing mercy to your children and your grandchildren and those you're leading spiritually. You disconnect and you throw away the bags and you stop following them on the day you die and not a minute before. Because that's what Jesus does to us. His goodness and his mercy follow us all the days of our life. And as Christians, we have to show mercy all the days of our life because we're supposed to become, be, be becoming like Jesus. What a great heavenly father that we have an opportunity to connect to. What great pictures of a spiritual father that we can be challenged by today. I love how David starts and ends this psalm. Very simply, the Lord is my shepherd, my father. I like everything. David says, because I have a connection to God, I have everything I need. And then he ends this way. Because I have a connection to God, I have everything I need. And one day, I'll be with him forever. Can you say that? Can you honestly today say, because I have a connection to my heavenly father, I have everything I need. And one day, I will be with him forever. Because if you don't know whether or not you can say that, you can know whether or not you can say that if you will surrender your heart to Jesus. And if you will take hand... Take the hand of your heavenly father and say, I will follow you. I'll follow your authority. I'll follow your direction. I'll commit to be who you created me to be. I want your image to shine off of me. If you've never done that, today can be your day to take the hand of the heavenly father. So like David, you can say, I've got a heavenly father. I've got everything I need. And one day I know I'm going to be with him forever. So I've got no worries in this life. If you don't know that, you can today. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we consider that? Every head is bowed and every eye is closed here. Those watching online, those in our overflow. If you don't know that you have a heavenly father that you're connected to. Today's the day to open up your heart and life to Jesus by surrendering your sin. Surrendering your past. Surrendering your control of your life and trusting God to take your life and make it brand new. You say, how do I do that? You just tell Jesus you need him. Just from your heart to heaven, you don't even have to pray out loud. You tell Jesus you need him. You ask him to forgive you. You tell him you're willing to surrender your will to his spirit so you can be transformed. You just tell Jesus you need him. You say, Christian, I need a heavenly father today. I need eternal life one day. And then tell God what you're feeling. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, but hearts are open. And if you say, I need that, just pray this prayer after me. It's not my prayer or even your words that make the transition. It's the act of opening your heart to Jesus and following him. Just pray something like this. You don't have to pray it out loud from your heart to heaven. Pray something like this. Jesus, I need you in my life. Just pray that. Jesus, I need you in my life. Forgive my sin and brokenness. Heal me from the inside out. And make me brand new. I surrender my will to your spirit and your plan for my life. Come into my heart. 
be Lord and leader of my life. I will commit to follow you. Become my heavenly father today. If you just prayed with me in just a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity to let us know how, uh, to let you know how you can tell us you prayed with us so that we can connect with you, answer any questions, celebrate your spiritual decision. But as we close today with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, let me talk to the Christians. Let me talk to the Christians. If you're a follower of Jesus, God has positioned you to be a spiritual father or spiritual mother, spiritual mentor to somebody in your life, maybe someone in your biological or adopted or extended family, maybe somebody in your life or work or someone you live near. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's true of you. So would you right now ask God to help you care about somebody's soul in a way that helps them look more like Jesus? If you know who they are, pray for them by name. If you're a parent, pray for your kids right now. If you have grandkids, pray for your grandkids right now. Ask God to help you care about somebody's soul in a way that helps them look more like Jesus. And ask God to help you lead from a posture of spiritual victory by working hard in your own life to look like Jesus. That will include showing others the mercy that God shows you every day until you don't have another day to live. So if you've been considering giving up on someone or you've given up on them, ask God to give you a heart of mercy towards them again. That will only help people see Jesus in your life. God, thank you for being our heavenly Father. Help us embrace the qualities to become spiritual fathers and mothers to the next generation of Christians in our world. Help us to do it every day until your kingdom fully comes and your will is fully done on earth, in our city, in our community, as it is in heaven. That's our prayer. We pray you'd help us today. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. Hey, if you made a spiritual decision today here or if you're outside or if you're watching online, the best way to get a hold of us in the coronavirus world where we don't have papers and pins in the seats is to pull out your smartphone and text the number 47. 4747 to journey connect 474747 to journey connect if you made a spiritual decision if you need prayer if you need help with anything um, if you're a first time guest and you want to say hey I came to journey for the very first time please let us know journey connect 474747 take you less than 60 seconds to fill out that card if you're a guest today and it's your very first time we'd like to give you a gift even before you leave Pastor Mike will tell you how to do that in just a minute Ken and Lauren are going to lead us um, in a final song we like to take kind of the final moments of the service. The seeds have been planted in your heart. We like to just kind of worship before we leave so that God can drill down deep the lessons he's put in our soul and hopefully so we can carry them with us every day as we walk this week. So Ken, let me pray for us and then you guys can lead us. God, thank you for the seeds you planted in our heart, our soul, our spirit today. Lord, we pray that now you will water them as we worship over them so they begin to grow into transformational things in our life. Thank you that you're such a great heavenly father. We worship you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship with the team.